welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's money M-O-R-P-H-O-S-I-S.com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Hello, it is Crystal Arnold, your hostess here and founder of Money Morphosis. So this is a time of incredible opportunity and uncertainty. Um, We have just had our presidential elections here in the United States, and uh, there's a lot of emotions running high and a lot of people looking deeply into what um, what we value as individuals and what direction our country is going in and how can we participate in uh, an emergent uh, culture and um, movement that really does honor the individual and um, responsibly stewards our resources and um, you know, so it, it really is a time of incredible opportunity, whether or not you like Donald Trump or his policies. Um, I think it's important to it's it's really been a wake up call for a lot of people that democracy is participatory and that we do need to continue to have influence and impact in our own communities and um, and really not fall asleep with our democracy and uh and so i'm i'm actually think there's an incredible amount of potential and possibility and this is um why i am so pleased to have our guest um Susanna Carmen on today she um she's unique in that she really can um has great insight into the meta level systems thinking and design and simultaneously uh, really gets the interpersonal, um, more intimate uh, relations of life and, um, and has some really brilliant perspectives on the transformations that are happening and the potential in these times. And um, Susanna Carmen is a transdisciplinary designer. She's a researcher, facilitator, and writer specializing in design leadership and integral engagement. With backgrounds in adult development, design, brand, and business strategy, Susanna works with leaders of enterprise and organizations to embed design thinking into the cultural fabric of human systems. And you can find out more at her website, www.susannacarman, S-U-S-A-N-N-A-C-A-R-M-A-N.com. And um, as some of her colleagues call her, uh, quote, the people person with the superpower to shine light on otherwise unconscious territory. And I really feel like this is... um, 
important, especially these days. Um, and so, uh, Susanna, welcome. I'd love to hear from you about what you find most exciting about the work you do. Well, hello. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm here in Australia staring out my really lovely window looking at the birds and the trees and being reminded of how nature informs my work and informs me in this moment. So um, although I can't share what I see, I can share through my voice. Mm. Um, and I just just mentioned that because I feel very um, ignited by the natural world. Um, as you mentioned in the intro, I, I am a designer, and I like to look out at the spaces around me to see, you know, and ask the question, what would nature do, and have that inform both my curiosity in that space, but also um, the structures and processes and systems that sit in the natural world to help inform um, some of my uh, design approaches when I'm working with human systems. And I think what ignites me most in that space is, um, you know, how to bring empathy, humility, and curiosity into what we make and unmake in our relationship with each other and with the planet. Wow. That is um, so important in these times of transition. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you about um, just the, the transformations that are happening now on a systemic level and um, how individuals can really get um, uh, the skills and tools to actually engage with the, the transition and the transformation. And I love how your background as, as working as um, uh, a clinical psychotherapist and, and focusing on the somatic therapies with the body um, just it, it is so essential in these times for individuals to take good care of themselves to be able to participate in all the things that are changing. Um, oh, where to begin? So let, let's talk a little bit about some of those qualities to cultivate um, and and how to sense and then move into action. Tell me a little bit more about your your thoughts on what qualities to cultivate these days. Well, I think you know you just named one that was really important for me. Or I, I, I you may not have named it, but I heard it in what you said, and it's this piece around embodiment and how that relates to leadership. And um, for me, embodiment is both being able to take theory and enact theory or take concepts and put them into practice, but it's also having a quality of curiosity, humility, and empathy in how I listen to what my body is telling me about situations, um, um, both as like as a sensate experience in the body, but also um, as an intuitive, just a feeling in the body as well. And, um, you know, as a designer, that is, that informs so much. And a lot of times we can forget to listen to what's happening there and what information is, can be received through the body. 
Um, but in particular, um, I like to look at design thinking as a way of practicing the embodiment of being empathetic. And in the design thinking space, that's about seeking perspectives um, and not just looking at a situation or looking at what someone has to say about a situation. If, let's say you're designing a leadership um, development program um, on an organizational level. It's going out and really interviewing stakeholders to seek their perspective, um, not through the lens of how I see the world, but to actually then stand in the shoes of the other and look as them at the scenario and sensing into the scenario from their perspective, through their body, through how they see the world, and, um, and going into that process with the spirit of, I don't know, it could be, as opposed to I do know and it should be, and being really curious and having the humility to not know and to admit that um, to myself, to the client, and you know, to every all, to all the people I'm interviewing, but also be grounded in my expertise and, and, and the knowing that rests in my body about being curious and being in my um, openness and sincere willingness to see things from another perspective. And in the conventional design space, um, that's kind of pivotal to service design to, you know, what's the user's experience, but in a sort of, you know, other kind of design. It's about enacting um, the principle of true empathy through a process of seeking the perspectives of others. Mm. It's, it really is. I feel like empathy is so crucial to develop and uh, that understanding and the skills of listening and communicating and using our imagination to sense what the other person is experiencing. What what do you see with, with the organizations you've worked with that do use empathy? Um, and what kind of outcomes and results are people experiencing? Mm. So a lot of times, uh, uh, um, you know, people come to me, and it's very, it's very, um, the vernacular at the moment in Australia, at least, is, you know, we have to innovate, we need to be innovative, we need to collaborate, we need to work together. But those, to me, are outcomes of a set of catalytic conditions, and they, pro they produce something that is of benefit for both, you know, collective communities and for products and services. But it's really just an outcome of a set of catalytic conditions in which you need to be able to step into the mindset and not only do, but feel inside yourself and in the connection with others, these qualities of, I don't know, what do you think? And be really genuine about that. You know, I don't, I don't know. What can you share with me? How can I see the world from the way you see it that will inform um, what we can co-create together? And that's, pivotal to collaboration. If you don't have that as an individual mindset um, informing individuals' behaviors, you're not going to create a collective relational experience in which collaboration can take place and, um, and innovative ideas can flourish and be nourished. Um, so it's, it's very critical as the, the fertilizer in the soil that will enable a seed to sprout <laughs> um, as well as, you know, 
being empathetic with humility, and I really emphasize this, I don't know the answer. And, and being in a leadership role where you feel or one feels comfortable and safe and grounded in themselves enough to be relaxed or at ease in the uncertainty of not knowing. And this is, this is very much um, a part of arts practice. And I do have a background in um, music and, and the creative industries. Being able to generate requires a person not being certain of what they're stepping into and being comfortable with that. And it, it really cultivates that capacity. So um, meeting, the, meeting the uncertainty that's definitely present right now in, in the world and in our experience and is actually always there. We just kind of fool ourselves into thinking that we know. <laughs> um, design, design thinking as a, a way of opening people to new mindsets definitely cultivates um, a quality of humility curiosity and empathy, as I've said, that could then, once people can really connect with that and live that as a dynamic experience, can produce the outcomes of breaking down silos, um, being emergent and novel in, in how people solve intractable problems, um, coming up with fresh thinking that can transform either the systems people are operating in or the products and services they can produce. But that fixation on that outcome, um, I think a lot of organizations fail when they sort of step into design thinking because they're fixated on being able to be innovative and they lose sight of actually that's the outcome. Really the starting point is cultivating these new mindsets and ways of being with each other and with oneself. Mm. That is such the heart of it. We have such immense power um, when we can tap into it through consciousness, our own consciousness and ability to shift our mindset and, and to make meaning of the world and have stories that we are myth makers and we have incredible potential to craft a, uh, an emergent story of what's, what's happening in the world uh, right now. And um, so I'm curious what other thoughts, like what, what common struggles or blocks do you see um, to maybe some of the entrepreneurs or women leaders who are listening um, that, that really common challenges around uh, the, shifting the mindset? That's a really great question. And I think, you know, we could look at that on a sort of micro level, the individual or um, you know, women, female, women entrepreneurs, but I could also apply this to how we're reflecting on these sort of global shifts from the U.S. election to Brexit and the sort of um, unknown consequences that could be an outcome of those choices, those collective choices. Um, I think it's really being able to balance the polarity between standing in the new and what could be, you know, the emergent and the possibility, which I think is profoundly significant, significant, especially if you're trying to generate intention and have vision. And so it's not an either or, it's a both end. And, um, and stand in what is current and really connect with what is and be in what is with as much curiosity as one, you know, as one could be in what could be. 
And I think sometimes in the design space, the fixation on, on the emergent and the new without being able to hold the now at the same time can, um, can create outcomes that are kind of disconnected or could, you know, when I look at some of the, um, the thinking in the sort of alternative currency space or the complementary currency space, yes, someone needs to be stepping into those places. And it's still very important to see that, you know, those new emergent models um, are very disconnected from the, the sort of suffering of what's actually happening for people in the now. And at the same time, they're not, right? You could see people are moving into those spaces because they're really looking for the solution um, to sort of the changes in the economic structures that we're operating with. And there's something about the mindset of the now that we need to be very curious about in order to bridge the gap between those transition periods. Um, and I often take a very, like a long view of the world and where we're going. And um, we were, we're in massive transition. So this fixation on let's innovate, let's innovate, what's the new, um, without taking into account and being genuinely curious about what is and, you know, the forces of traditionalism and the forces of modernism, um, and really looking at our own rejection of these of these pieces, particularly you know in in you know with more pluralistic values and inclusive values, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. What is wonderful about traditional values? What is wonderful about modernism and infrastructure? What can we take with us and take take those people who really see the world from those perspectives? How can we embrace that and take it with us into the new? And I think the gap between the new and the emergent and then holding the now, because it's kind of an either or conversation, it's contributing to, I think, um, the polarization that I see happening um, around the world. Yeah. Yeah. And when people are comfortable, um, they're often not motivated to consciously make a change. And so I feel like some of this political uh, shakeup that's, happening um is you know has has that benefit to um igniting the curiosity of what what is important to me and and how do we organize intelligently as communities and what is um what is wise use of of our resources here as a country as a state what where is our level of authority and autonomy and sovereignty as individuals within a bigger system so i'm i i see a lot of people are you know not not comfortable and to acknowledge our own um suffering and is is such a powerful place that so often is um, skipped over in some of the New Age visionary um, uh, stories about a one world in unity and harmony. And, and I think we must acknowledge the, the suffering that's happening now. Don't you think so? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, again, it's this kind of being able to hold both. And that's, to me, like a, from a leadership point of view, it's a developmental move. So, um, you know, the quality of leadership that the world needs <laughs> is being able to stand in what is and hold that, hold, the, hold that kind of dissatisfaction, that suffering, that feeling of being left behind and hold that internally 
and also be able to stand in what's emergent at the same time and, and the possibility and shift it out of an either-or conversation to a both-and conversation. So important. Um, let, let's talk a little bit more about, um, because I see you as, as such a powerful feminine leader and the way that you contribute value to organizations and to your community and I uh, just wanted to hear your thoughts on what is important for women leadership. That is a great question. Um, I can, I, I'm going to answer that from a personal, from my personal journey um, and my personal perspective. And that's around um, being able to value the tacit qualities that we bring or that the feminine brings. Um, and this is, I'm speaking about the feminine, not as a, as a gender identifier, but as an, an essence or a quality that everyone has. Um, but to really value these sort of tacit internal um, ex, um, implicit capacities and qualities that are hard to measure. Um, you know, things like, um, um, even like erotic capital, you know, the capacity to, and that can sort of trigger some people, but to really own our own um, charisma and beauty and capacity to connect and hold and um, charm and attract and ignite response and ignite eros in ourselves and others, that capacity is hard to measure. Um, so like in relationship with others or in relationship with you know, my husband to be able to really not see thing as, not see everything as egalitarian and equal, but to really be able to value something like that in myself and what that brings to the relationship and to be able to trade in currencies like that in exchange for things that maybe are more measurable and not and, and to be able to embrace that and be comfortable with that and not feel guilty or ashamed of those things. Um, you know, I often look at my own relationship with my husband and I, I look at what am I bringing to the connection or my relationship to my community as well um, or to the communities of practice I'm a part of? What am I bringing to the connection that is perhaps um, difficult to measure in a currency, for example, like assets or capital or money, but could be, could, could be measured more in um, reputation or um, knowledge or, um, you know, spiritual development or consciousness, you know, how do I bring that forward and stretch the edges of others? Um, and how is that received? And how does that get traded across the system, whether it's the, the family or the community or the organization or the world? How do we find ways to measure and trade in these more silent currencies that we don't really have an expressive capacity around and value that in ourselves? And I find the more that I stand in that and value that in myself, the more um, um, the sense of sufficiency takes hold and the more flow that exists in my system. So sometimes it's, it's money and sometimes it's assets and sometimes it's love and sometimes it's sensuality and intimacy or, you know, or consciousness or um, wisdom, you know, and, and being able to free all of these things up so that it can flow and move across the system. And to me, that's the true meaning of wealth, being able to trade in a system, both tacit and explicit values or capitals and, um, and 
almost think about trading as a collaborative expression of wealth rather than a competitive one based on not scarcity, um, but, but sufficiency, not even abundance, just sufficiency. Yeah. I like that distinction. I think it's so crucial um, that sufficiency is very different than abundance and to feel our enoughness um, is incredibly powerful in a world that has marketed the message of not enough and scarcity to uh, create consumers. And uh, and this is really why I've created um, what I call the true wealth template, uh, which has not only financial wealth, but three other areas, um, including people's inner wealth, uh, relational wealth, and environmental wealth. And I, as you were describing, uh, we can we are so much more valuable than we even realize because it's been reduced to numbers and dollars and cents for so many people. Their identities are wrapped up around their paycheck, and it's incredibly illuminating and uh, empowering to be able to get a more holistic picture of our what's really valuable to us and orient our actions towards that instead of just the financial piece. Mm. Yeah, and um, I know you, you and I have both been involved with this um, meta-capital um, program about sort of a new system of valuing the exchange of, of wealth and, and building wisdom economies. And um, I love the words of Eric Braun when he talks about, um, firstly, um, you know, how money is great for trading commodities and, um, and, and, you know, the future will include and transcend that, though, that we'll have, we're going to build an expressive capacity in the years to come that will enable us to trade in things that aren't scarce and, and to be, we're doing it already all the time, um, but be able to have a language for it. So for example, he talks about how, you know, air isn't scarce, but it is incredibly valuable. So, you know, there are things that aren't scarce that are highly valuable that we consume and exchange, perhaps not with each other, but, you know, with each other and our, you know, planetary co-inhabitants, you know, the life, the life that we share, where we're in exchange of, of flow and currency all the time. And um, you, money isn't the only language or the only expressive capacity that will enable us to trade. <laughs> um, and our ideas of all trade being based on a scarcity model, you know, it's true to some degree, but what's it, it doesn't really speak to the, a bigger picture and um, that in the years to come we'll, we'll be moving into spaces where we'll have language to trade in some of these other, other domains and money will be a part of that, but it won't be, you know, it won't be the only defining measuring stick for, um, for trading these other areas. And I think he compared it to like the difference between pictographs and language um, to actually oral expression where nuance and sound and inflection opened up a whole new way of communicating with each other. So he, he often talks about money as like an early um, manifestation of being able to trade in a currency and that it's just one. And there are, there are more currencies to come that will facilitate a more expressive um, dialogue and, 
and trade in what is actually going on around us all the time. Mm. It is so exciting. (laughs) I really hope people let that possibility sink in because um, both Susanna and I are doing this Meta Capital um, framework course and, and are exposed to a lot of people around the world who are um, looking at emergent economies and ways that we can more intelligently exchange and um, bring, ultimately, like, bring this more um, um, sacred, uh, reclaim that the exchange and how we care for one another and manage our resources is a sacred act. And um, and that is so powerful. I'd, I'd like to, um, we'll take a short uh, commercial break here, and then when we come back, I would like to explore a little bit more about the the four types of impact of meta capital and and help people give a glimpse of of what's possible. So we will be right back. Are you one of millions of women paying unnecessary bank fees and painfully high interest? Really, aren't the bankers rich enough? Don't let your hard-earned money disappear without enjoying it. Find out how at discoveryourtruewealth.com. Take simple, practical steps to better manage your finances. Breathe a sigh of relief because you will gain greater confidence with your money in this free training. Because you deserve to nurture yourself, not hand over more money to the banks. When you plug those money leaks, more resources are available to create a vibrant future. Register now for this exclusive training at discoveryourtruewealth.com. So we are back with Susanna Carmen, and we're just exploring some of the potentials of expressive capacity, the language of how we acknowledge value and how we exchange and share. And um, we are both just so excited at the potential and just really um, want to take you into imagining what is possible in addition to trading with national currencies because this really is one of the main um, design tools that we can um, that people are looking at how to redesign exchange systems to actually um, you know create value for the the individual and to honor the commons and just ways that we can encourage and influence different behavior. I feel like um, many people don't realize how much the design of money as an um, interest-based currency, fiat currency, has influenced people's behavior. It breeds competition and scarcity and um, the very way that it is issued from a central authority um, really does impact the system of how things are valued, who benefits from the extraction of um, value from the commons. And I think we really are seeing um, deep, um, um, yeah, incredible danger and potential for um from from that design of money and so i um 
would you like to tell people a little bit more about um, MetaCapital Framework and maybe start with describing the four types of impact? Yeah, sure. Um, I just want to say, though, even listening to you talk about that, um, you know, it makes me think of Switzerland, where they're already, you know, they're already trading in multiple money currencies. You know, it's already happening where they trade in the euro, but they trade internally in the Swiss franc. So they they protect their um, their internal markets with their own currency when export markets aren't flowing into the internal market with ease. So there are already, you know, status quo examples of multiple currencies within um, the money sphere. We're not even talking about, you know, other domains, just in that sort of um, the, the, the domain of finance and, and capital that is already occurring. And I find that really fascinating. Um, you know, when in, in this meta capital framework, which is like a design framework created by a guy named Sean Esborn Hargan. Um, who's the founder of an organization called um, Meta Integral, um, he's really come up with a way of thinking about building wisdom economies, um, economies that inc in include or systems that include the capacity to, um, to be both profit-driven, to be people-driven, to be planetary-driven, and purpose-driven. So to be able to have a, a much more... Um, holistic um, structure and system for, for trading in all of those four domains. And he grounds it in, in what he calls impacts, four impacts. And he talks about um, the first impact being the impact around transforming mindset and um, really the ability to go into those or, or access those internal spaces, those tacit spaces within an individual that has them take not necessarily horizontal um, movements in, in building their skills and capability, but real vertical movements, um, mindset shifts where people see the world and, and have a paradigm shift in how they make meaning from a whole new um, base on the mountain, you know, that gives them more perspective and, being able to have that type of impact in a system, in a family, in a culture, in a community, in an organization where individuals can really transform the way they see things. Um, that's a really powerful impact. Um, and, and then looking at transforming behaviors, you know, what are the measurable ways people do things that you can actually see as different as consequence from those shifts in mindset? Uh, how, how do you measure the way people and behave and, and how can you transform um, those behaviors in a way that really makes a difference to a collective and to the individual, but ways that you can actually see um, just from observing behavior. And then looking at transforming um, relationships. This is more about this or intersubjective space, this what goes on between people, you know, what goes on in that sort of social networking space, what goes on in the space of culture. Um, how do you have an impact when you can really transform relationships? And, um, and then looking at the, the fourth impact around transforming systems. And, you know, I see that in the States and with Brexit and here in Australia, we're in the process of transforming um, the systems in which we operate and when we can transform systems, which are often a consequence of the values we share as, as 
you know, as a culture, when we can actually have laws and, um, you know, legislation and structures and economic structures and institutional structures that reflect shifting values, um, um, being able to have an impact inside an organization to transform those systems, that's a big shift. That's a big shift. But I think the challenge in collective systems is when you fixate on one of those components or one of those impact areas to the deficit of another, it makes it difficult to create a holistic um, overall transforming um, transforming consequence around impact. So in this model, it's really looking at how can you look at a whole system from mindsets to behaviors to relationships to systems and build something that can transform all of those things and, and really seeing that as, as both necessary and impactful. Hmm. Right. And it's, it's really helpful for individuals and organizations to get, get a sense of how they fit into that and where their strengths and um, really are and, and what their purpose is, how we can create that impact in our families and our communities, organizations, and in the marketplace. And um, mm. I think that is so important, right? Mm. Yeah, and I, that's a good that's a good segue because he actually then um, he actually then breaks down each of those four areas or quadrants of impact, um, and he he divides each of them into smaller units, which he calls capital. So within, for example, the um, transforming mindset he identifies um, three different areas of human capital or um, pools of value um, where we trade in those pools of value, one being knowledge capital, spiritual capital, and psychological capital. So, you know, all of those, all of those components or all of those capitals inside of impact can be, can be measured. Um, even though they might seem very tacit, there are mechanisms for measuring them both like, you know, internal self-reflection or in a dyadic kind of observing another and commenting on another's performance. And you think of like 360 reviews in sort of um, HR internal engagement leadership space. And then there are also third person uh, or more objective mechanisms for measuring personality types or, you know, in a capacities for complexity. So there are ways of measuring those internal capacities. And, and according to Sean, when you can measure them and measure them well and have agreement about how you're measuring them, it becomes easier to actually have currencies for each of those capitals that you can then trade across the system. Same goes for, hmm. um, you know, behavior, you know, capitals in the impacting of transforming behavior um, section of his model. And he names them as human capital and health capital. So often talking about, well, how do we measure health capital in an organization? We measure it in sick days. Um, you know, but are we really interested in the well-being and health of people, or are we just wondering how often they come to or are absent from, from work? So, um, and then this sort of human capital space gets spoken about a lot, and, and that's really a reflection of the skills and the capability and um, um, the the ability to perform well at a role in an organization or even in a family or on a team, you know, what's, what's people's capability. And um, 
And so this model is just building out capitals in each of those each of those quadrants so that a currency can be created for each or an awareness where you can actually see how these things are flowing across the system. And, and then um, just by having awareness about it, it, it can be acknowledged and then begin to um, be quantified in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It truly really is powerful for that, for bringing the integral perspective um, to value and wealth and um I'd like to hear about, um, kind of discuss a little about communities and uh, networking and your vision with uh, Women, Wealth, and Wisdom Network and why you feel that's important right now. Yeah, well, I guess what I'm playing with right now is taking this kind of model of these four impacts and looking at um, the sort of um, transforming mindsets, transforming behaviors, and also, you know, what we traditionally think about as capital, manufactured capital, you know, assets and commodities and um, financial capital, just currency, the flow of money, and also, um, you know, ecological capital, the resources that are finite, and we do have to take into account that the planet has contributed to our our growth and expansion. And so this model holds that as well as cultural capital, um, and this is in this sort of transforming relationship space, cultural capital and um, social capital. Like when you look at, you know, social media, and you can see that, that social capital gets measured in people's reputation, like how many likes do you have on Facebook becomes significant when you then want to trade those likes for financial capital. So, for example, you know, coming from the creative industry space, the way that those two things became traded or how they're being traded, particularly in the music industry, is if you can build huge audiences where you've got reputational social capital, you can sell that reputation to a brand who then can communicate through you to those audiences and, and then currency can flow your way. And you see that, that as viable um, um, income opportunities, particularly for millennials, in the in the online broadcasting space so there are ways where this is being traded already um which i find really fascinating um and very curious and in my work with um sort of uh, working with women in my local region i really am looking at so how can you combine um communities of practice or sort of action learning oriented collectives of people that have a domain that they really want to explore and develop around a particular area and perhaps those domains fit inside each of these capital areas and combine that with the smart network approach of someone like June Holly, where you're trading across systems um, to the outliers in the systems and also to the hubs in the system to share knowledge and share information across sectors. So an example of an outcome of that type of um, ecosystem trading would be um, um, a child care center at an aged care facility and combining two different sectors that have um, um, stored value and trading with each other and, and co-housing an experience like that um, that pr produces incredible community outcomes. Um, so my vision is to really use this framework to identify where value sits, where people are already collecting. Maybe there are already people, you know, there's a business network for women in the community and there's a, psych, a psychological network around um, um, 
a support team for people in the community or a support group for women in the community or a support group for disadvantaged women in the community? What could they be trading across that system? And, and I guess this comes back to the design thinking um, approach where they wouldn't know unless they were genuinely humble, curious, and empathetic. And, you know, if you kind of looked at the, the meta-capital framework as a model for holding all these different um, um, features in the ecosystem, different domains of learning and practice and action, and being able to hold all of those so that there can be um, communication and expressive and receptive capacity across the system where people are learning and trading with each other, the potential to create a holistic and wise um, you know, I guess a wisdom econ economy in practice in, in real time is, I think, quite exponential. So I'm exploring that space of smart networks, working with ecosystems, communities of practice, connecting through these ecosystems, and sitting inside this model of, you know, domain areas that are based on the capitals that we're actually silently trading in, but just actually doing it from a place where we're genuinely curious and trying to stand into the shoes of the other to see what can be co-created that will serve ourselves, our families, our communities, and really build wealth beyond, I guess, what we're imagining it to be at the moment. Mm. It really is so important uh, to, to build those networks, to make the flows of value visible. This keeps coming up in in our course as well is that importance of how we can, um, <clears throat> when we make the value flows visible, which may not have been if they're only being measured by money and that's so cloaked in secrecy and all these other things, um, that we can actually contribute more intelligently to the network and see where the needs are and really understand our place and our unique role in the ecosystem. And I see this as one of the great gifts of um, barter exchange networks and complementary currencies when people are understanding how to better engage in the marketplace because people can post not only what they have to offer, but also what they're needing. And so I see that's just one example of how Intelligent networks can access the innate genius in each individual who's participating in a very real, tangible way where we're able to um, actually engage um, with the system from that place of, of knowing. Um, mm. Anything else to say on that before we move on to the practical um, application for people? I just quickly wanted to acknowledge the work that you're doing, um, particularly from, from what I understand, you, um, there's a sort of undercurrent of the shadow work around money. And I feel like in no way is the future saying money won't be present. We need to include money in the system and we need to embrace our challenges, you know, around money and our shadow around money because we need to be able to have our money flow like energy in the system, through the system. It's just that it's going to include and be more than just the trade of money. So by no means is this like rejecting, you know, the free flow of currency in the system or money, I should say, as a particular type of currency right. in the system. And the work you're doing around that space is, is so important because I feel like if, people, if that's being rejected, then it, the point is being missed. You know, it's just one of many different currencies that we can be trading in and that we are trading in. So we, 
we have to embrace it and own it and feel comfortable in it and treat it as the energy um, mechanism for energy exchange that it was meant to be. Mm, that is so key. I really do find uh, when I open up the space for people to share authentically about their relationship with money and their history of what, what beliefs and behaviors they're carrying around, it just so much can transform because there has been so much cultural, um, culturally imposed shame, fear, and guilt around our interaction with money. And that's so passed on through generations. And as women, especially, you know, coming into, oh, we're in a new era of feminine empowerment as far as how we can participate in the marketplace and own property and so I feel like it, it is uh, very important for people um, even even people who are visionary about the new systems of exchange to really acknowledge and heal their own shadow around money so thanks for acknowledging mm. that yeah and I think as mm. women um, and this kind of goes this is a good segue into the practical space I mean this is just a personal example, but I think I've paid for a babysitter like maybe three times or four times, and my child's nine years old. Um, I don't live near family. I live in Australia. I don't have grandparents around or relatives around to participate and share, um, share mm. you know, the rearing of my child. Who I have are my community and her friends and the parents of her friends. So when we go out, we, we – you know, my daughter has a sleepover, plays with other friends, or when someone's sick, I, I invite their friends to my house. And there's a real exchange in that way. Like, I guess the point is we're already doing it. It's just, are we really yeah. valuing, it, valuing it? It's a bit like you can go to a massage and be massaged well, but if you're thinking the whole time, you won't enjoy it. You're not present for it. <laughs> so it's like the first step is to actually see how we're actually already trading in these ways. And, and from, as a practical step forward, um, for myself and for your audience, it's to pay close attention with curiosity and, and humility for what already exists, the wealth that's already present and what's already being traded that's not being acknowledged. Um, and, and, and to reflect on, you know, what am I doing? How am I feeling? And how am I being in exchange and relationship all the time that I haven't really been noticing before? what can I be paying attention to here and how might that shift my relationship to money or my relationship to my own value? And that's the practice I'm personally in. So, yeah. Mm. Awesome. That's, that's really important. That reflection. Um, would you like to introduce, uh, explain to people some about the action inquiry practice? Yeah, so a practice that I really absolutely love because it grounds so much of the conversation we've just had. It grounds me in my sort of personal connection with myself. It grounds me in how I relate with other people. It grounds me in how I relate to the world and the systems in the world um, is to be genuinely in a state of curiosity all the time. When I'm curious, when I'm in the question, what's going on here? What's going on suddenly becomes clearer just by asking the question. I don't even need an answer. It's by being in that question that my attitude, my 
um, what I'm doing, how I'm feeling, and how I'm being transforms immediately. So I, I based this on some work by um, a guy called uh, um, Bill Torbert or William Torbert. His work is the action inquiry work. Um, action, action logics is also a part of his work. It's a, um, a developmental measurement, third-person measurement tool to understand people's worldviews and how they see the world and how they make meaning. And the practice that he has along with this tool is um, what he calls action inquiry. And it's, it's being able to identify sort of three levels of relating to any scenario, whether it's the self or, you know, I'll use the example of, okay, I want to lose weight. <laughs> I'll just use that as an example. I could really go, what do I need to do? So the first level is, is like the sort of first loop um, uh, first loop learning, what do I need to do to get that outcome? I need to exercise. I need to eat well. I need to um, drink lots of water. That's a very doing focus. And that's really looking at my specific behaviors. And that's important. And that, that, that's all very relevant. So no one of these levels is any more significant or better than another. They, they all, you know, different scenarios require different outcomes. So, but looking at um, looking at the sort of weight metaphor, um, asking that question, what do I need to do differently here, is um, a first loop kind of uh, learning with myself around my doing, and then a second loop would be, well, how am I feeling? What's what's the feeling I have? What's the unconscious um, motivator for? the behaviors that aren't going to produce the outcomes that I want. So, you know, why am I having that chocolate or why do I want to eat that? Um, what's the feeling or what's the, and that, I guess that moves into the sort of subtle realm and the psychotherapeutic realm around what are, what's the um, implicit conditioned responses that are happening inside of us that are around our reactivity that, that sort of, drive behavior and being able to explore that and, and tune into that. What am I feeling? What's going on in my body? What am, what am I in reaction to? And so that's really important too. And that's like an undercurrent to all of our behaviors. And it's very important to be in that inquiry with curiosity. And then the third practice is, um, again, it's not better or more than, it's just another way of looking at it. Um, how am I being? How am I being in relationship to my body or to my experience of myself that has me feel not enough or has me, you know, that is driving my behavior in the moment? How am I being right now? How am I being? And that's like an even deeper context to the other two that can inform behavior and can inform how I feel. So how am I being right now? And just by asking that question with genuine curiosity, it's not that different from mindfulness practice in a way. Um, how am I being right now? How is that going to change? How embodied am I? How am I relating to this other person right now? What is the quality of my listening? How am I actually being? And how is that impacting on what's being created by me? or being co-created in the dynamic between myself and another. So that's the practice. What am I doing? How am I feeling? And, and how am I being? And being able to go through those different levels of, of really reflection and, and 
inquiry with the self and inquiry with other and and it's kind of a learning practice. Mm. Wow, I love that invitation for people because there is so much um busyness and distraction in today's world. I feel like we really are being called to um to pause and reflect and then share in meaningful ways with other people um, and and explore who we are, what motivates us, how we can create uh, the life that we want. And uh, it's, it's such an em- empowering place to have tools such as this to um, invest that time into yourself because you'll see that um, otherwise, the default is like consuming someone's manufactured story about what's valuable and what is success. And when we start to define these things on our own terms, then we become um, more able to navigate and find our authentic yes and, and find our no's, no and our boundaries and be able to enter into relationships in a more conscious way. Hmm. Yeah, and and what I truly love about design thinking in a sort of, um, like there's two design thinkings. There's the conventional design thinking about making stuff, and then there's a sort of post-conventional design thinking about transforming, um, having an impact and transformation. And what I love about design thinking is that it's the container in which all of this inquiry can happen. And it's a process that you can take whole collectives through to, to take them through those three levels of what am I doing? What am I feeling? And how am I being? And to have that be part of an inquiry process that informs. So what are we going to co-create from this place? And um, I just, as a creative person and as a conscious person and being, um, devoted to my own the development of my own consciousness around all of these areas around my mindset, my behaviors, the systems I contribute to in my relationships. Um, I, I just love design thinking because it's a great container that can hold a lot of what we've discussed. Mm. So in these last uh, few minutes, uh, if people are interested, intrigued what you, with what you shared today, tell them a little bit more about what, potentials to connect with you and or experience your work? Oh, yes. Great. So um, I write a monthly newsletter um, and I'm blogging all the time. So um, in the newsletter, I send out my most current, freshest imaginative thinking on the application design thinking in different contexts. Um, And so, you know, I can connect or we can connect through my website, um, people can subscribe and they can receive that newsletter. I also direct people to articles um, on a magazine that I host in my website um, where other people are writing about design or um, alternative currencies or um, anything to do with developmental learning and leadership. So I use that magazine as a platform to share the freshest thinking of other um, thought doers around the planet. And, um, and then the work I do inside of um, organizations, both in the private enterprise and public sectors, as well as the non-for-profit sector, on how um, you know design thinking can be a useful tool and a useful container 
within um, within an organization. So in any of those domains, I can be reached via my website. And um, yeah, I'm just happy to answer questions or engage in dialogue with anybody who's interested. Hmm. Thank you. I I have so enjoyed your perspective and the ways in which you dance between the the system level and the interpersonal and the interior and the way in which I feel like you bring such a grounded perspective and approach to how we can create more value together and acknowledge our incredible wealth and really, um, you know, expand our capacity as individuals, as networks of communities of practice, as, um, as a global humanity. How can we expand our capacity to um, acknowledge and create value together and really um, have that, have that ref- I love your invitation to, for people to really reflect on, on what is most important for them and, and how they are being. And um, I, I feel like this, this was kind of a, a call to action for people who are experiencing this, all the transitions and transformations happening right now in our world and to really um, give people a sense of what is potential and how they can engage and take action in their own lives to acknowledge their value and wealth and also, um, you know, really hmm, participate in the system, in systems in a more intelligent, conscious way. And so thank you for being such a leader in this field and for sharing with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, um, I, yeah, I deeply respect and value the work you're doing, and I'm uh, very honored to have been invited into your, your field of influence. So thank you very much. Mm. Yeah, so everyone check out SusannaCarmen.com. And and just really encourage you to stay curious. Yes, stay curious. Mm-hmm. Develop humility and empathy, and and just a trust in the in your own innate wisdom. And until next time. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.